Welcome to Grades Don't Matter, a show about two years of hard work and what it means for the rest of our lives. I'm your host, Doug Tolley. Our guest today is Andrew Packer. He's the head of enterprise customer success at Lucid Software. Andrew, great to have you with us. Hey, thanks for having me, Doug. I'm looking forward to uh, chatting. Andrew, um, tell me a little bit about Lucid Software and what you do there. Yeah, Lucid Software is a fantastic software company. Uh, we're relatively young or you know, youngish. We've been on the scene for around six years, but we really started our enterprise sales motion over the last the course of the last two years. I transitioned from another startup uh, that I worked at when we were in the MBA program together, Podium, uh, a, a little over 10 months ago to Lucid, and I haven't looked back. Lucid's a, a, an amazing company. We build uh, visual, we build software that helps people communicate visually. So if you think of how you can effectively map processes, create flowcharts, organizational software, et cetera. We, we build a software that's uh, cloud-based, that's intuitive. It allows real-time collaboration between your teams, and uh, that's the software that we build. We have over 10 million users ac- around the globe, and uh, we're represented in you know, 90, 99% of Fortune 500 and 96% of Fortune 5000 companies. Wow. Uh, so uh, just a little bit more understanding. Uh, it helps It helps teams communicate or did I misunderstand? Yeah. So it's, it's, just a, it's just a tool that allows you to communicate visually with one another. So if you, if you think of, you know, creating processes or leveraging uh, flow charts or, um, you know, uh, I don't know if you've ever used Microsoft Visio. Yes. It's a product that's similar to Microsoft Visio, uh, but it's super intuitive, really easy to use, and it's cloud-based. So you can create a document online and collaborate with your colleagues wherever they're at um, at the same time. Very and, cool. You know, it's, 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 it's pretty amazing. Yeah, we were just actually up in Eugene, Oregon last week, and we – rolled out lucid chart with nike so i was able to go to nike world headquarters and with my team members train nike on the product and uh launch lucid and uh we're uh, we're their newest enterprise software partner How about that so as the head of enterprise customer success do you do you do you have named accounts do you have uh large accounts that are yours do you have a team tell me a little bit about that yeah, so I actually I actually just work with the teams that work with our largest accounts. Okay. I have have uh, three different teams that I manage currently. So I have our strategic team. They manage our largest customers, uh, handpicked customers that are you know poised for significant growth. I manage our enterprise team that takes care of our uh, customers that have over twenty five hundred employees, and then I also manage our corporate team. Um, which takes care of our customers between with between 100 and 2,500 employees. Uh, hopefully, someday soon, I'll be able to hire a head of corporate customer success to take over the corporate team. Right. Um, I have just too many too many people that are reporting directly to me to be able to you know do it very effectively. So yeah, how about that? How many people do you have reporting to you? So currently, right around 15. That's a big. That's a big team. 
That's for yeah. Sure. It's I mean, you do if you do an hour one on one with everyone a week. That's you know half your half your week is gone. So. Yep, that's for sure. Well, managing people, it's a lot of fun. Um, Clayton Christensen, I think, said that uh, management is one of the most noble professions if done correctly. Uh, I'm sure you're doing a terrific job with your team. So uh, I. I, I recall that uh, you had uh, a different job when you started the MBA program. Where did you work? I know Podium was in between. Where did you work when you started the program? Yeah, so when I started the program, I worked for a company named Intrada, uh, and I worked in customer success there. For those of you that aren't familiar, customer success is basically post-initial sell relationship management. It's a software-as-a-service-specific term we're responsible for maintaining customer satisfaction, product adoption, and ultimately revenue retention. For you know, a SaaS-based model, software as a service, it's important that customers keep renewing. And so that's that's what my team does. And uh, so I started at Podium, or I started at Entrada uh, in customer success, and I loved it. Brad Jensen was kind enough to introduce me to uh, the executive team at Podium, I had an awesome experience at Podium helping to build their customer success organization. Um, and then there was an opportunity to transition to Lucid Software, and I, I took the leap. Um, and I've been very, very pleased with with the change in role. I love my, uh, you know, I, I love the people, I love the product, and uh, I'm very excited about, about that. And it's funny that you mentioned Clayton Christensen's um, comment about being a manager and how it's one of the noblest things you can be engaged in that's uh you know that's something that i've been thinking about in regards to the to uh one of the other questions that you you uh teed up for me well i hope we get to that question then uh <laughs> these are always a little bit uh we're on we're on rehearsed we don't know exactly where we're going to head but we know it's going to be a lot of fun yeah. um one of the things i was thinking about uh, as we were planning on talking was uh i don't know where you grew up where did you grow up andrew so I actually grew up in American Fork, Utah. Um, I was born in Pleasant Grove, Utah, and made the big move to American Fork when I was five. Uh, and I, I actually ended up um, marrying a girl from American Fork. Uh, and we live literally five minutes from my parents' house and six minutes from her mom's house. So I guess I'm an American Fork Forker for life, apparently. <laughs> the PG to AF move, it's huge. It's like yeah. minute, minutes. It, yeah. yeah, it was, you know, literally minutes. So it was good. And uh, was your undergraduate at BYU or some other place? I did my undergraduate degree at Brigham Young University. I majored in Chinese and political science. I had originally intended on, you know, working for the government in some amazing capacity as a spy or a federal agent or something. And I actually was in the middle of applying for the FBI when I started my career at Newskin and the FBI didn't work out, but it turned out I had a knack for interacting with customers and, uh, you know, had opportunities for growth at Newskin, which led directly to my, my current, you know, opportunity and role in relationship management and teams that manage relationships. Did you uh, have an opportunity to use your Chinese skills? I did. Yeah, I used them extensively in when I when I worked for Newskin, um, engaging in interaction with uh, Chinese customers and Chinese distributors for Newskin. Um, and uh, you know, I still occasionally 
am able to leverage Chinese as I'm in engaging in talks or conversations with customers. And, um, it's, you know, I try and keep up with it. I read the BBC news in Chinese and listen to the BBC news in Chinese so I can kind of try and stay on top of it. Wow. That's amazing. I can't remember which FBE did you take? Did you go to Asia? I did not. I actually went to, I actually went to Europe. Okay. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I feel very confident I will spend more time in Asia in the future. And, uh, Europe looked really cool. I don't know if you've had, um, notifications from your, uh, either your Instagram account or your Facebook account, but I've been continually getting notifications of all the pictures that we took a year ago right now on the foreign business excursion. And that's been so fun to see those, those pictures pop up. Yes. I have a quick aside. One of my across the street and down the road four house neighbors, uh, Jeff Adams is in the class of 2018. He's just on his FBE right now. He took the exact same one that I took last year and he keeps sending me pictures from the places I've been. He sent me a picture of India Sunday night, well, Sunday morning, which was Sunday night for him. And uh, looking at the picture, I could still smell India when I saw the picture. So amazing so uh, awesome. memories of the uh, of the trip. Uh, yeah. Quick shout out to a classmate. Did you ever speak with Ling in Chinese? I don't. I never noticed that. If that I I did speak with Ling in Chinese, <laughs> and and Ling was very complimentary. Even though I'm positive she was cringing every time I tried to speak. <laughs> well, that's fun. That's uh, that's fantastic. So. You told us in class a little story about growing up uh, with a somewhat famous uh, relative or two. Uh, Packer's a pretty well name, especially in the LDS uh, community. Uh, you mind telling that story again? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, I, I, I try not to broadcast it, uh, but I, my grandfather is President Packer. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't, I'm sure that most people in, in the MBA program know, but, uh, growing up, there was a lot of pressure to be a good person and to, you know, represent the name well and represent the name effectively. Um, and for a long time, I, I just kind of lived my life in a way that I felt like I was expected to, or lived my life in a way that, you know, I, I was more concerned about being a good Packer than I was about being a good Andrew. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that's a, that's a great way to wear some ulcers in your stomach and, uh, make yourself start to go bald early. Uh, but after, after a lot of, um, time thinking and a lot of time praying and some really good advice from my grandpa, actually, uh, I kind of came to the realization that it was very important for me to, uh, kind of break away from my, my, uh, family shadow and just try and live my life for me. And so I still care a great deal about making sure that I'm not, you know, dragging the Packer name through the mud. But at the same time, you know, it's like, it's okay for me to make decisions and it's okay for me to, you know, not shave for more than two days. And, um, <laughs> you know, so that's, that's okay. I, I used to think it wasn't, but I do now. Wow. Uh, you know, everybody listening is thinking, okay, so president, you know, Packer, um, 
and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a question or two. Uh, none of us have had this experience, but what's it like sort of seeing your grandfather or hearing your grandfather, you know, at things like general conference and, you know, talks to BYU groups. And I mean, that's a pretty iconic voice too, right? I mean, that's a pretty recognizable individual. So, so I think that it's, it's hard for me to say, you know, it's, it's hard for me to say because it's something that I grew up with, right? That was just grandpa. We would see grandpa on TV every, you know, every six months and Mm -hmm. we would see grandpa in person. Uh, He did a very, very good job of delineating, uh, of delineating those things, right? Mm. He was a busy man and he was certainly involved in the church and you knew that grandpa was special, but grandpa also made sure that he was able to spend time with his family and to be grandpa. Um, you know, we would go up on Sundays or we would go up on Saturdays and we'd help out around the house and grandpa would make a joke and he would wear his sweet, uh, brown polyester leisure suit that he had from, (laughs) you know, (laughs) from the seventies. And he was just, he was just grandpa. Uh, and then he would kind of put on his suit and put on his tie and he was president Packer. Um, Hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, I, it, I don't know if that makes sense. It um, does. It does. When he put on the uniform and, you know, he was in, the, uh, in that job or in the moment there. Yeah. He was an extraordinary teacher. Uh, did, you, did you have opportunities to have him taught in those informal settings? I imagine if so, that would be pretty amazing. Yeah, it definitely, you know, we definitely had opportunities to experience that. He, um, you know, I think the I think the way that I would explain it is that he would do exactly what any other grandpa would do. Any other, you know, good righteous grandpa would do. He would take time to teach his kids about the gospel, his kids and his grandkids and his great grandkids about the things that were most important to him, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, you know, my my dad does the same thing. When we're together as a family, uh, you know, he, he is a righteous priesthood leader that takes opportunities to teach his family about the things that are most important to him, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, uh, we never, we never had any groundbreaking, uh, you know, revelations. We didn't find out about, you know, the the lost pages or, you know, he never, never, told us when the second coming was going to happen, but he would bear testimony in the same way that he would in general conference Mm -hmm. about the fundamentals of the gospel, which is Jesus is the Christ. This is his restored church. And if we are worthy of the priesthood and if we're worthy of the Holy Ghost, our families will be protected and safe. And if we adhere to the principles of the gospel, we will be okay. And if we teach our kids to have faith in Christ, we'll be okay. Um, I think that is that's the most powerful testimony to me is that it was it wasn't anything fancy. He just he he taught in the same way that my dad teaches me, and that I, I know that you know many other righteous parents throughout the church are teaching their kids. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, and 
And, you know, I've had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time on a couple of firesides and a couple of intimate settings with an apostle or two. And it's ama- it's an amazing experience. But but in the end, I was at a, a function where uh, James Faust, Elder Faust, introduced himself as, Hi, I'm Jim. And, and it just felt kind of funky, you know. It's like, no, you're really kind of not Jim. And then I, I ran into President Uchtdorf at a soccer game watching his grandkid up in Bountiful uh, once, you know. And... And and he's in a pair of jeans and a polo shirt. You, you kind of scratch your head. So for the at least for the rest of us that don't, you know, you, we didn't have grandpa around and see him in his in his work clothes. But uh, that's pretty cool, Andrew. And and honestly, the truth of the matter is, you wouldn't expect him to 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 drop any great bombs or revelation. <laughs> but but you would scratch your head and wonder what does grandpa know that he's yeah. just not talking about? And the answer is uh, a whole boat full of stuff would be my guess. A whole boat full. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that, I mean, and I don't, I don't tell this to everyone, but I feel like we're all, we're all family after what we went through together. That's for sure. Um, I think the biggest lesson that I learned from my grandpa, uh, president Packer is that, like he was an amazing, amazing man. Um, and he has had, he had amazing experiences and he had an amazing mantle resting upon him. Uh, but we have the opportunity to get the same testimony that he had. We probably won't know the same things that he had, right? We won't. Hopefully, hopefully none of us have the same burden and the same responsibilities that he had, but we can gain the same testimony and the same faith in Christ. Um, uh, because you know, he was a man, he was a man that put his pants on and, you know, uh, made jokes and, uh, you know, teased my grandma and, (laughs) and was grumpy sometimes. Um, and it just, it, to me, it gives me a bunch, it gives me a bunch of hope that we can make it to, Wow! right? We can make it to. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's uh that's a, a fun window and a fun insight, uh, into, yeah, in, into your, into your grandfather who, who, uh, I know means a lot to you, but means a lot to a lot of us around the world who, who grew up listening to, uh, to him teach. So uh, back to the BYU MBA program. Everybody has a little bit of an origin story, how they found BYU or, uh, for their graduate degree or how BYU found them. Uh, how did you come to, uh, uh, enroll in the, uh, in the BYU, uh, executive MBA program? <laughs> so it's a, it's an awesome story. I was actually in the middle of putting in an application for a degree in history. I was going to get a master's of history, uh, and I was actually applying to the University of Utah for a master's degree in history. I had already picked out my, um, you know, kind of my thesis project that I wanted to work on. I wanted to do a, uh, a comparison contrast of um, European political and imperial colonialism in the in the 19th century and uh, 20th century compared to Chinese colonialism in Africa in the 21st in the 21st century. Wow. Uh, so I was, I was ready to go. I, uh, I was, uh, you know, pretty close to finishing up the process and I was in a meeting at work with the COO and we started talking about where he had come from and 
He said, Andrew, I looked at the people in my life and I, I found out that he'd done an MBA. And I, he said, Andrew, I looked at the people in my life that were the most successful and there was one common thread. They had all done an MBA. And so I started thinking about more seriously about doing uh, an MBA. And uh, I actually stopped the process for a master's of history and started the process of, you know, getting ready to, you know, uh, enter an MBA program. And so I just uh, started looking around and I made the decision that I knew it was going to have to be an executive program um, because of the stage that I was in in my life. And, uh, you know, I did my research. I attended a bunch of different um, meetings for Thunderbird and for um, BYU and for the University of Utah, Utah State. I even had pipe dreams about Wharton, but I didn't want a $200,000, you know, (laughs) student loan burden on my on my shoulders. And uh BYU was the BYU was the perfect fit, and uh, you know uh, when I went to the BYU Executive MBA info session on campus, there in the Marriott's, sorry, in the Tanner Building, um, it made me want to be back at BYU. That made me want to experience everything that BYU had to offer again. And so um, I put in an application. It was my one and only uh, application to any school. Luckily, I was accepted. I didn't have a good plan B or, or backup plan. I know that um, you know our strategy professor would be <laughs> disappointed, but it was all or, it was all or nothing for me. And uh, luckily, I got in and uh, you know started that awesome opportunity. That's fantastic. I know you have a passion for military and battlefield strategy. Uh, you shared some of that in a few of the, our classes. Um, was that part? I mean, obviously, this is a passion for you, uh, but now it's not, you don't have an advanced degree in that. Uh, is that something you might go back and do later? Or what, what are your thoughts around that? So, yeah, two, two things. One, I will definitely go back and, and do my master's in history for sure. I will someday. Um, and, and two, uh, I actually have like, uh, some pretty awesome news. I have been accepted as a um, direct commission officer in the United States Navy Reserve, and I will be commissioning next Tuesday. Wow. Um, yeah. So as an intelligence officer in, in the Navy Reserve. So that is fantastic. Do you have any prior military experience? I don't. <laughs> I don't. Um, it's just something that I've always wanted to do. And the Navy has a fantastic program where they take people with advanced degrees and uh, significant work experience, and they commission them directly as officers. And I, I'll start, uh, you know, drilling. I'll do some some training away from home, but it's not a significant burden away from my family. And, uh, you know, in two years time, I'll be fully spun up as an intelligence officer and, and helping, you know, the, the Navy, uh, defend the United States. I'm super excited about it. So is that, uh, like the commercials one weekend a month and two weeks in the summer? Kind of Yeah, yeah, it is. It's one weekend a month, two weeks, uh, two weeks, uh, drill, in the uh, just sometime during the year, yep. my first my first two weeks drill will be you know devoted to that initial you know officer training that I that I kind of alluded to previously, and um, it's uh, you know I would not have made it into the program 
if I did not have an MBA from an institution like BYU. Wow. Uh, I think it carried a lot of weight. Um, and that alone made two years at BYU. Uh, and one semester at the very end, when I thought I might have a heart attack, uh, <laughs> worth it. That is so funny. So this is kind of one of the places you hoped it sounds like to end up and BYU helped you get there. Yeah, a- absolutely. So um, I'm really, really excited about the opportunity. I've always wanted to do it. Uh, when I worked for New Skin, I lived in Israel and everyone in Israel serves in the military. Right. And I just, I, I came back from that experience knowing that I was, that I had, that I had missed out, that I have not kind of paid my dues to society and to um, this country and, you know, to uh, the, the blessings and opportunity that I've had in my life. Um, and so I just started looking around and shopping around for the right program. Um, and, uh, you know, the Navy Reserve is this intelligence officer program is super competitive, but I had a, a good packet thanks in, in a great, in a large part to the BYU MBA program. Wow. So, so uh, any chance that you could be um, deployed in some sort of uh, out of the country uh, sort of assignment at some point? Uh, yeah, there, there is a, there is a chance. Um, this is another reason why I selected this particular program. Um, the deployments are shorter than for other branches of the service. Uh, typically between, you know, typically around six months and the intelligence, the Navy reserve intelligence community, they're typically used to kind of, um, augment other forces. So Mm. you may be like seconded or, you know, uh, to a Marine group. And so you're, you're just there helping out with their mission for six months or, you know, you could go spend six months on an aircraft carrier or, uh, you know, on a base somewhere, but this is, this is, you know, it is a desk job. It's not, I'm not jumping out of airplanes or doing anything crazy like that. It's a a desk job. Yeah. Yeah. But if we've, you know, any of us who've watched mission impossible, you know, sometimes you go from being an analyst to being in the fight. (laughs) I I don't know. I, I know that's not real. I'm just kidding. (laughs) <laughs> I, my wife wouldn't let me do anything cool like that. So yeah, well, this is cool enough. It, it's very cool. I'll tell you, one of the best uh, visits the uh, Asia group had on the FBE, speaking of that, uh, was ta- uh, spending some time at the embassy in Dubai. And uh, we really, we, there was a panel of, I think, four um, uh, people who were serving uh, in the embassy there in Dubai. And, uh, and uh, what an interesting conversation we had for for two or three hours talking to them about their foreign service, uh, about how they felt about the country, uh, about the, how they felt about the particular president at the time and some of the things that were going on. Very, very interesting conversation. And it truly was one of our best visits. So uh, some of us actually left that meeting thinking, should we take the foreign service exam? Should we kind of look into this? It, uh, it was a real sort of patriotic kind of serve like you said feeling uh we i totally understand that that was a fun visit for us so yeah and and actually and actually there's 
you know, I was chatting with a guy in the unit that I'm about to join, and that's what he did for one of his deployments. He was able to go and act as, uh, a, you know, kind of like a sub attache officer at an embassy in Southeast Asia mm. for six months, take his family with him. And they lived in, they lived in Thailand for six months and were able to, you know, just, uh, he was, he worked at the embassy every day and it was an awesome opportunity for him. Wow. Well, you'll have to keep us informed as to where you might find yourself if you end up in some fun assignment and who knows where, as long as you're allowed to say where you are. So that'll be fun. Uh, awesome. Well, uh, so we've talked a little bit about what you've done since you finished the MBA program. What's one of your favorite memories of your time uh, in our in our time together studying? Any specific lesson you learned that you kind of use all the time or on a day to day basis? Yeah. So I think you mentioned you mentioned Clayton Christensen's uh, comment. How will you measure or novel? How will you measure your life? And he talked about being a manager and how being a manager. Um, was to him almost a sacred calling. And that moment had a pretty significant impact on me. I am not going to lie. I, you know, I'm grateful for the job I have. Um, I feel very blessed and lucky to be in the software industry. And I think that it has had a significant impact on me. I, I love being involved in, you know, high growth startups. And, but I mean, you know, you can tell that history and the military and those things, they've always been a passion for me and feel like I, in some ways I felt for a long time, like I'd been kind of stuck, um, in, I guess, mid-level management. Uh, and you know, I wasn't, I wasn't passionate of, you know, no little boy grows up wanting to be a mid-level manager at a software (laughs) company. Um, but when I, when I listened, but when I, when I heard that and when we read that, um, kind of clicked for me. Uh, and we had other conversations about whether you should pursue your passion or you should pursue, or you should just get really good at something and eventually it would become your passion. And all of those things kind of like reverberated around in my skull, in my skull. And I went through a pretty significant crisis of conscience uh, towards the end of the executive MBA program, when we were in Europe, I was reconsidering my life choices and thinking about everything that I'd done wrong. Um, but you know, I was able to transition to Lucid, and there was an employee there who ended up on my team that was just struggling. She had been through some really rough times personally. Uh, and her previous manager hadn't taken very good care of her professionally. Um, and when I inherited her, the previous manager told me, he said, I give her three weeks and then we're going to have to, we're going to have to fire her. Wow. Um, and as I was thinking about what to do with this employee, that thought, uh, from Clayton Christensen reverberated in my mind that being a manager can be a sacred calling. And I thought, if I do anything to make her life better, then I am engaged in a sacred calling. Um, and, uh, you know, she's still here. Uh, she's still lucid. She's doing a great job. Uh, she's happier. She's turned a corner professionally. Um, I think she's turned a corner personally. And I'm not taking credit for all of that. Uh, but I do know that I made her life better. And if I can make the people that work with me, if I can make their lives better, 
then that is a, you know, that's a pretty significant thing for me. Um, and it makes the fact that I'm not, you know, uh, Tom Cruise, right. um, <laughs> or a billionaire, a lot easier, a lot easier to swallow when I can go home and, and, uh, give my kids a hug and give my wife a hug and know that, um, someone is not going home complaining about their job because they've got a good manager. It makes a difference for me. So it's not net present value. So I, you know, I'll have to apologize to Colby. I still (laughs) use that occasionally. Um, but it, it's had an impact on me and, uh, it's changed the way that I approach my job and that I approach the way I interact with my teammates. Wow. That's fantastic. In that, I think in that same book, or maybe one of his other books, Clayton talks about he's looking at one of his research, uh, with one of his women who are researchers in his lab, thinking, you know, if things go well here, here's all the ways it translates better things at home. Don't go well here. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you I'll tell you one thing that I think is like super <laughs> I you know, I I took I took an entrepreneurial uh oh geez, what is it? marketing class from Rhodes and uh I, you know, I just have been interested and always been a entrepreneur and so that kind of kickstarted me and um you know, I started trying to figure out how to create my own um, you know, e-commerce site, uh, you know, just creating, uh, you know, doing some drop shipping and I've just been playing around and experimenting and really it kind of just gave me the courage to try something out so far. So far I am certainly running, uh, in the red, but I'm having fun. And I told my wife, I'm like, we're just going to earmark this amount of money and we're just going to try and figure it out and see what we can do. Um, so I think, you know, the thing, you know, I had never been brave enough to do it. And then I had that class and I saw everyone else, Jason Barron, um, and everyone else in the class that had already been doing amazing things and had amazing ideas. And so I just decided why not give it a try? So we're just trying it out. And, you know, it gave me, it gave me the courage to, to try it. Same thing with the intelligence officer role. Like it gave me the opportunity to do it. Um, and, you know, what, when I got, when I got my letter for the intelligence officer role, I was so nervous and I was just waffling back and forth, back and forth. And I didn't know if I could do it. I didn't know if I could make the commitment to be away from my family so much. And my wife pulled me aside and she said, Andrew, you were brave enough to do your MBA program. We survived your MBA program. Nothing can be worse than that. So just do it. 
I actually have not slept that much. We're just having fun though. I think it's, uh, every once in a while, I think maybe I should just slow down a little bit. And then I think, dude, I did it for a couple years in the MBA program. Why not just figure it out? Um, I, I saw what everyone else did in the program and I saw how accomplished, um, a lot of our colleagues were, and it made me more ambitious. And I don't think, and I don't think that I'm, I, I hope and pray that I'm not neglecting my family and I'm not, you know, I get to spend way more time with them than I did before, but I do know that I don't want to settle. Um, I don't want to settle. Well, I actually have one amazing story. I started my new job at Lucid, and uh, I was walking past one of my one of my uh, team members' desks, and I saw a wedding announcement for his wedding on the desk. And I looked, and I saw um, I saw a girl that I recognized, and I'm like, I know that girl. And I started to think about it, and I looked a little closer at the wedding announcement, and it said, Michael. Swenson is proud to announce the marriage of his daughter. So I, I, uh, I am, uh, I am the proud boss of Aaron Montague, who is married to Mike Swenson's daughter. How about that? So it's a small world, but I get to keep tabs on, on Mike Swenson. And, uh, and, uh, I'll tell you what, he, he got a great son-in-law. So, um, that's awesome. He's one of our favorite. He, I mean, they're all, they're all, all the professors were great, but, but he had a special sort of style in the way he presented his material where he was always kind of pulling your leg a little bit, had that twinkle in his eye. I'll, I'll never forget that kind of dry, dry sense of humor and that smile he had when he, he knew he'd ripped off a pretty good, uh, pretty good comment. I, I just enjoyed everything from him. Yeah, he, he was amazing, and and those of us that were lucky enough to go to Europe with right. uh, the Swensons and the Stices, uh, right. you know, he is just he's just a great guy unless you're late. And then <laughs> I heard about that. I heard he he'd, he'd drive away and leave people. <laughs> he will leave you at the hotel in Vienna <laughs> if you are late. Did you have anybody get left? Monty Monty uh, Swain was our guy, and he said. Hey, you guys are lucky that I'm not uh, Swenson because three or four of you already would have gotten left in India. Yeah, Swen- Swenson did. We did leave a couple or three or four people at the hotel in Vienna wow. when we were on the way to go to the to the concert. Um, he he was just not having anything of it, so you we just left him. Once, or you only get left once before you get your act together. So uh, that's, that's right. That's, that's right. Funny. That's great. Well, this has been terrific. Well, I just want to say thank you to everybody in the program um, and to you, Doug. I had a pretty dang rough six months. The last six months of the program were more rough than I think probably any other time in my life. And uh, I would not have made it through without the love and care and support of good friends. Um, So I just want to say thank you. Oh, 
That's very kind, and I'm sure everyone listening uh, feels the same way. We're glad we all made it. Uh, we kind of did it together. You know, the truth of the matter is, uh, uh, we it, it took it took all of us working together to make it work. So that's for sure. Well, Andrew, thank you so much uh, for a few minutes of your time tonight. This has been a lot of fun. Good to be here, Doug. Well, it's great to catch up with you, Andrew Packer. He's the head of enterprise customer success at Lucid Software Inc.